Explore presents a reading from Strangers Like Angels with a devil or two to boot by Alec and Jan Foreman. Chapter 32. Fine Work. 25th of October to the 2nd of November, 1977. India. It poured with rain all the next morning as we drove the last 70 miles back to the region of Kashmir. We arrived at Srinagar, a country city nestled in a valley surrounded by the foothills of the mountain range we had just explored. We made a beeline to a tea house as we were parched, chilled and hungry. As we tucked into sweet tea, buns and peanut cookies, a pleasant young man approached us. Good morning, he said, with his palms together and with a slight bow. Welcome to my city. Please may I take you to the shops to see all the beautiful things. It must have been the effect of the wet, miserable grey day for surprisingly we agreed to have a guide. The high street was lined with great wooden buildings and well-stocked shops, each entered by a door, rather than the whole shop being open with goods displayed directly on the streets. The town was indeed a treasure trove of alluring mementos. There were useful boxes and small tables made from papier-mâché, decorated with delicate hand-painted patterns edged with gold. Carved wooden objects were displayed in another shop. I bought a steel carving knife and fork with carved wooden handles. The blade and the fork slid into a slot in the handle of each other, forming a wooden fish that rested in a swimming pose on tiny brass feet. Mohammed and Sons was a store with a selection of quality leather and fur clothing. I was drawn to a fabulous navy suede jacket the two front panels elaborately embroidered with pastel-coloured flowers. I couldn't resist trying it on and was thrilled that it fit. Even the sleeves were long enough. It would look great with a plain navy suede skirt, which I ordered there and then. Alec decided on a made-to-measure dark brown leather jacket. Next, the young man ushered us into a linen shop with wooden shelving along the walls stacked high with white cotton tablecloths. The owner was exceedingly enthusiastic about the goods he had for sale. He showed us a vast selection of tablecloths of different sizes, round, square, rectangular, all with matching napkins. Fine work, he exclaimed in a rich, deep-toned voice. He said this every time he shook out a cloth and laid it on top of the previous one. Fine work. By the time he'd finished, the display table was piled high. Such a choice, so many varied designs and coloured threads. Some just right for English afternoon tea with spring flowers embroidered on. Other cloths would go well with an oriental tea set to complement the artistically sewn fiery dragons. Between the four of us, we bought several tablecloth sets as ideal gifts for folk back home, especially our parents. The fact that the traders could accept personal checks made the purchases possible. 
We asked our guide, Ali, if he knew of a good jeweller, and he led the way to a silversmith, whose jewellery was on display. His was such excellent craftsmanship with intricate filigree details that I was happy to leave my Alexandrite gem with him to set into a ring. The day was drawing to a close and it was time for supper. Ali suggested we dine at a houseboat on the lake for just ten rupees each. We parked close to the lakeside and boarded a shikara, which was a local taxi, something like a gondola. It wasn't far across the lake before we reached one of the many wooden houseboats moored along the edge of an island, only accessible by water. We entered the salon and were invited to sit at the table. A pot of tea was served first by the young cook, who'd been standing by in the hope of someone coming on that wet, chilly day. A few Soviet Union magazines were available for our perusal while we waited for dinner. Rice, chicken, curried cauliflower and dal were well received and we even had seconds. The shikara taxi man waited for our return custom as we planned to spend the night in our vehicles at the tourist camp, which was a right quagmire with the constant rain. Fortunately, the rain did ease off during that night and the sun peeped through the morning mist. After breakfast, Alec took the opportunity to climb up onto the bonnet and check our wooden storage box on the roof rack. Oh no, Jan, you're not going to like this, he exclaimed as he opened the lid and pulled out some items. I left the dishes to go and investigate. He handed me my midwifery textbook, which was sodden from the rain seeping into the box on the one side. I'd brought it along on the trip in case I found work along the way. Not worth keeping, Alec. How are the other books? Oh, they feel damp but still readable. We should find a dry space inside the Land Rover to store them now. He handed me all the books, plus the engine gasket set which was soaking wet. I placed the latter on the flat surface of the mudguard, hoping the fragile gaskets would dry out. Jean-Luc and Martin needed to replace their roof box with two metal boxes they had bought in town the previous day. Jean-Luc had unfortunately wrecked their box when he had reversed into low cables at a mountain village in Ladakh. He used some of the wood to create two small cupboards in their Land Rover and Alec took the two large panels and made a shelf above our heads in the cab of both vehicles. It was fantastic to have more storage space. Along with that task, Alec replaced the broken leaf springs he had discovered on both vehicles. We were all busy throughout the day with routine maintenance, cleaning and sorting. Our first taster of the houseboat experience enticed us to give it another go but with an overnight stay. We booked two one-bedroomed houseboats side by side. Jean-Luc and Martin joined us in our salon to have supper. A young boy had the challenge of keeping the wood burner fired up all evening. The fire began well with some dry tinder, but the damp logs struggled to catch a light. Everyone had a go at blowing into the open metal door, trying to encourage a lasting flame. The activity caused the smoke to waft out into the room, 
forming a woody smelling haze that counteracted the musty damp odour of the humble boat. Tea was served once again. The Indian style of serving tea was so delightfully British too. A little milk poured into dainty china cup, followed by scolding black tea and a spoonful or two of sugar. We were entertained during the evening by visitors who seemingly invited themselves in. One Indian fella constantly interrupted our conversation with many questions, all spoken with that wonderful accent and accompanied by the nodding of his head from side to side. What have you been doing today? What did you buy? What will you do tomorrow? A tailor turned up, smartly dressed in his pinstripe suit. He tried to persuade Alec and Jean-Luc to order made-to-measure suits, a two-piece for only £30 and the three-piece of the finest quality cloth for £50. Sadly for him, they declined his offer. We waited and waited for our evening meal. Eventually, our impromptu visitors left and we wondered if we were ever going to be fed. Unfortunately, when it arrived, it was lukewarm from the cold plates. But never mind, it was still delicious. Roast duck, carrots and potatoes. Between the four of us, the portions were rather slim. So we had extra rice and dal, followed by stewed apples and more tea. Alec and I slept well in our houseboat that night. Unfortunately, Jean-Luc and Martine had a rough night sleeping in a damp bed and with a draught of cold air breezing in through a broken window. In the morning, we ventured onto Jean-Luc and Martin's boat to use their rather smarter clean shower, thankful that there was hot water available. Omelettes, toast, butter and orange marmalade were served outside on the deck with plenty of hot tea. Our overnight stay with meals included cost just 10 rupees plus 10 packets of razor blades. Back at the Land Rovers, we stashed away our overnight belongings before returning to our Shikara driver. He had two crafts, Sun of Kashmir and Light of Asia. We booked the latter for a four-hour tour around Dull Lake. The boat had fully sprung seats, a canopy and tied-back curtains. There was a small bench seat and a large bed-like seat for the passengers, so we took turns with two hours for each couple per seat. It was an enchanting activity on a warm, sunny day with a gentle breeze blowing. The foothills and mountains began to emerge as the morning mist evaporated. The shikara was skillfully guided between floating carpets of deep green waxy flat leaves crowned with exotic magenta lotus blooms. A vibrant blue kingfisher clung to a tall reed swaying from side to side as he keenly watched for a tempting morsel to swim by. He would not go hungry, for the lake was well stocked with fish. The boats used by the local tradesmen and women were slim wooden canoes, pointed at one end and square at the other with a bench seat across for the oarsmen. The lake was a busy marketplace in itself, with canoes laden with fruit, bottles of drink, biscuits, sweets, 
toilet rolls, washing powder, jewellery, saffron, etc. Young girls sang a lilting song as they enticed customers to buy their stunning lotus flowers. Women provided a laundry service for the occupants of the houseboats, collecting and delivering clothes, towels and sheets. Other women were on the lake harvesting edible plants out of the water that could be cooked and eaten as a vegetable. Our ride on the Shikara went along the waterways between two-storey houses built on the banks. The locals made good use of the easy access to water and had flourishing gardens growing root crops and squash. Children played in the branches of trees that overhung the canal. Our boat floated by many waterside shops, pipe sellers, grocery stores, butchers, tailors and handicraft workshops. Craftsmen were cutting willow branches to weave into baskets. The tour included a visit to Nagin Lake, a quieter location where houseboats could be rented for a peaceful retreat. The four hours drifted by all too soon as we relaxed with not a care in the world. On our way back to the tourist camp, we stopped at the leather and silversmith shops to collect our consignment. The leather goods and my stunning ring were well received. The following morning, we all went to Smith's bicycle store and hired four bikes to go on a grand tour of the city. We rode through the busy streets, darting in and out between buses, trucks, bullet carts, local cyclists, pedestrians, goats, cattle and water buffalo. I felt vulnerable and unprotected and was glad when we headed off along the narrow side streets that were mostly used by pedestrians. Cycling along at a gentle pace, it was easy to stop at any time. We happily responded when the carpet salesman beckoned us over. He invited us into his workshop where a beautiful silk carpet was being woven on a grand old motorised machine. He then directed us to climb the exterior stairway up to a balcony that stretched the full length of the house. The first open door we passed led into the kitchen, where his wife was attending to her morning chores. Pots, pans, ladles and spoons hung on a wooden frame that was attached to the wall. Our host spoke to his wife as we went by. We were directed to go into the next room along the balcony a simple room with mud-plastered walls. There was rush matting on the floor with a cotton sheet spread over one half. In one corner was a pile of bedding and a few items of clothing hung on wooden hooks on the wall. We removed our shoes and sat on the mat as instructed by the friendly man. We were each given a blanket and a kangri to keep warm, even though it was a mild day. A kangri is every Kashmiri's companion during cold weather. Red, hot, glowing charcoal smoulders inside an earthen clay pot that is encased within a willow basket. This is placed under the holder's wool coat or blanket. Cozy. Soon afterwards, our host's wife entered the room and set a tray before us. It was laden with a white china tea set slices of bread and crunchy Ritz crackers to nibble on. Their generous hospitality was humbling 
and it was not even a ploy for us to buy a carpet. In fact, there was no sales talk at all. From there, we cycled on and took a grassy tree-lined track out of town. Water canals that simplified irrigation intersected fields of vegetables. Wooden bridges led across a mini-canal and other tracks to individual houses. It was a tranquil ride to the other side of the lake and up onto a tarmac road. Being out of the bustle of the city, there was only an occasional vehicle as we pedalled on and on through pleasant countryside, passing by a village now and again. The fresh, invigorating air blew into my face and through my hair as I blissfully ventured along the road to our destination. Shalimar Gardens What an entrancing terraced landscape of formal flowerbeds, lawns, waterways, fountains and pavilions in the romantic style of the Mughal dynasty. It was commissioned by Emperor Jahangir to be built for his wife, Nur Jahan, in 1619. It was such a delight to visit the imperial summer residence of the royal court from centuries ago. On our return to the city, we rode along the busy main street, which had fascinating architecture and a variety of shops. Some lads were standing at the roadside, making a few rupees for the family by selling sheep's eyes and hooves. A group of men crowded around a medicine man. He was selling medication for urinary and stomach problems in hand-labelled, slender-necked brown bottles with glass stoppers. He was doing a roaring trade with his slick, convincing banter. We saw a solemn-faced bridegroom, dressed in a pink, long-sleeved brocade tunic over matching trousers. Around his neck hung a gold and silver paper medallion. His groomsmen walked by his side as they made their way to meet the bride. Whenever we stopped, people surrounded us and insisted on touching our bikes and ringing the bells almost as if their local bikes became magical when foreigners rode them. What a wonderful day we had had. After returning the bikes, we walked back to the tourist camp. For supper, I made pizza, topped with cheese sauce, chopped peppers, onions and tomatoes, followed by a dessert of natural yoghurt with slices of banana and apple, drizzled with honey. Total distance driven, 27,886 miles. You've been listening to a reading from Strangers Like Angels with a Devil or Two to Boot by Alec and Jan Foreman, presented by Explore More. Explore More is an adventure lifestyle brand founded on the 1977 travel stories of Alec and Jan Foreman with a passion to inspire people to explore more of the world, engage with others and embrace global cultures to ensure a greater understanding for each other and enable positive progression. Discover great products and more on exploremore.com. That's E-X-P-L-M-O-R-E dot com.